Dan's just winging it today. He says, show notes be damned. Didn't even look at it. How is that different from any other show? <laughs> yep, just tell me what we're talking about. I'm good. You'll find out in the moment, I suppose. <laughs> Dan's better on the fly. Today's episode is all about Dan, where he will construct <laughs> a 45-minute narrative about his life from birth to now. The getting to know you episode? All about Dan. They can only be so lucky. After the break, Dan's five-year plan. That's probably easier to talk about. Than board games? No, not the board games. (laughs) Oh, then your life from birth to now. My life full of heartbreak and struggle and overcoming said struggle to be the successful person I am today. Dan, if you want to record in 30-minute segments like your life story, we can release those intermittently. Chapter one. I was born. I I listen to a lot of audiobooks. It's a shame that the one I'm listening to now sucks. Oh, we know, we know. Well, I know. We we don't know. Go ahead, tell Tiff real quick. This is the twelfth time I've heard this. What are you reading slash listening to? Pretty sure it's only the second time he's heard it, but <laughs> it feels like the twelfth. I just said I'm reading the Gunslinger, the Stephen King book. He's reading the first. It's bad. No, the um, it's not bad. It's just kind of boring. wait a like, it second. It doesn't hold my attention. Wait a second. He writes. He writes really exact thing, quote like, that book sucks it does suck but it doesn't (laughs) suck from a like because i'm not a literary person but i could see a literary person saying oh well you know he wrote this very eloquently kind of thing but like to grab my attention it sucks because he's using (laughs) horrible metaphors and just trying to use too many of them and it's just like just talk just narrate tell me a story but the way he wrote it apparently this was like his first book and he wrote it like he had been at an english seminar kind of thing trying to be too fancy it's just not plain speak for me it's like he compared something to the seam of an ice pack and i was like get the just what the hell does that mean what did did you get past the inappropriate encounter with the ghost oh i don't he's boning ghosts this is gonna make for a weird outtake but... I don't think you should put that <laughs> in the outtake. Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, the opinion that you want, and joining me on the show are my two lovely co-hosts. It's the opinion that you need, Dan. Ladies. And the other one, Tiffany B. Not cool. <laughs> Not cool at all. Tiff, it's the tagline. How do we know I'm the other one? You, we need to put up a poll. Can you say hi to everyone? Other one? <sighs> hi. Well, see, now that you've said hi, you've acknowledged it, and we don't have to poll anybody. Thank you for accepting your okay. role. You also don't play games. Oh. <laughs> so we have officially started off episode 50 with a bang. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. I want to start the show with a little bit of announcement. So we said on the last episode, Tiff and I, that we would try to do something special for episode 50. But I realized that actually we are quite close within an episode cycle of our two-year anniversary. So what we are actually going to do is we are going to roll all of the excitement for 50 whole episodes, which is actually closer to 80, I counted. Uh, We are going to roll all that excitement into our two-year anniversary episode, which will be coming out around September 8th, hopefully, if we're on track. So what we need to do is put out a call for some 
for some help, for some ideas uh, from the community. If you guys have anything that you want to do or you want us to do for the two-year anniversary, uh, we'd love some suggestions. We want to make the show fun. Hopefully, maybe we can do a live show, but we'll have to work out the details on that and try to let everyone know. And the other thing that we know we want to do is a big old Keep Trade Burn segment, since that is one of our favorite segments here and a lot of our listeners love it. So what I'm looking for, and I will post in the guild, a guild post for where you can contribute keep trade burn submissions uh they can be by theme they can be by you know different games that you know we like whatever you're thinking keep trade burn make it big make it fun and we will use those on the show does that sound like a plan everyone it sounds good do you know that your second year anniversary is your cotton anniversary just hmm. so you know so if anybody is willing to send me a blanket <laughs> i will give you my address uh <laughs> Or like a t-shirt, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, all right. That we works. should get each other t-shirts. Well, we have to give them to each other. Yeah, like we, we each buy two t-shirts. What about toilet it, paper? Oh. That's, is the, that's lame, Dan. I, I, I can like make use now. of that, though. You can send that my way. It has ridges. It has ridges? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so while we work out what we're going to buy each other for our two-year anniversary... Uh, let's continue on. If you want to chat with us about the two-year anniversary or anything else gaming-related, you can find us on our social media places. That is Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us on the BGG Guild number 2077 or check out the places like Twitter and Instagram to chat with us directly. If you enjoy the show, we would love some iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play reviews so that you can be like ES Begin? S Begin? I don't know how to say that. But he or she left us a review on Stitcher and said that they really love the show and that they think it's a good place for a relaxing time with board games. Do you find that we're relaxing? Is that something that we... Is it Dan's voice that's soothing? I feel totally relaxed all the time when we're recording. Yeah, I support it then. Uh, Also, he or she, because I don't know what pronoun, uh, pointed out that our guild link in our show notes doesn't work, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> consummate <laughs> professionals we are uh we will get that fixed so thank you s began all right so our show for episode 50 we are gonna do our gen con 2016 recap because we have not chatted with dan and tiff about gen con just yet we have a listener question if that does not take too long we will answer a question from the man himself mr todd and before we get to any of that we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing so i don't know if i want to start with dan's uncompleted show notes or tiff's fully completed show notes i played games let me start all right tiff go ahead tell me what you've been playing (laughs) all right well i played star trek panic as promised i picked this up because i love star trek and i don't mind castle panic and i am overall pleased with it so what differs from regular castle panic well i'd say The main differences are the, instead of the castle, you have the Enterprise. So you have an Enterprise and its shields, and on your turn, in addition to trading a card and playing as many cards as you can, you can also rotate the Enterprise so it's facing different directions. Okay, what purpose does that serve? Well, the cards will tell you, like, you're firing the, you know, with the side phasers, or, you know what I mean? So you your cards are directional based on the ship. So you have to have your ship facing a certain way. Um, Also, as your baddies are coming toward you, if you have shields up, it can protect you from damage from the bad guys. So if you have a spot where your shield has been destroyed, you could turn it so they're coming at a place where you're protected. So instead of like the static castle walls and castle panic, you're, you're, 
protection essentially shifts with you. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's all in one piece. So you put um, the whole 3D ship and the shields into this one. There's a board that it all connects to. So it just all tilts together. Cool. So you had fun with so, it? So yeah. The, yeah, I definitely did. And the other thing that's a little bit different is you have some player powers. And instead of just like surviving, there are different missions that you do. Okay. So... So you you have to destroy this ship over here, and you know there are different things that you have to do to win, rather than just protect the castle. But I like it. I like it a lot. Do you think that this falls in line with the original Castle Panic in terms of difficulty or complexity? Do you think that this is like an elevated version? Um, it's definitely more complex, and I think there. I will say this: there are a lot of little things that might be easy to forget. It's pretty good. They have stuff on the board, and and once you get the hang of it, it's fine. But I found myself having to relook up stuff, and in Castle Panic, that's not really an issue. So there are a lot of little details, and there's more variability to this than there is for regular Castle Panic, probably without the expansions. The expansions definitely help, but uh, it feels like Castle Panic, but I like it better. I actually lost a game of this, which I don't usually lose in Castle Panic. Yeah, interesting. Have you played Dead Panic? I got it as a Christmas gift, but I haven't played it. <laughs> interesting. So the Star Trek theme really kind of pushed you into getting it to the yeah, table. Yeah, I love, I love Star Trek. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I'm glad. I, the, the 3D ship really got me. I mean, it, it's it pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I, I like it a lot, and I think I'll continue to play it. I think it suffers from some of the same kinds of problems that Castle Panic does, where, you know, it's very card draw dependent, and if you can't get the right cards, you'll lose. But... Uh, I don't know, if you like Castle Panic and you want it to be harder, this is definitely a way to go. Excellent. Dan, any thoughts on Star Trek Panic? I can only imagine. Nope. Yeah. All right, Dan, then give me a game. What have you been playing? So if we're talking Gen Con, I guess I'll eliminate <clears throat> the Gen Con games from this segment. Yeah, save those for a few minutes down the road. Um, Let's talk, I guess the game I've played the most in the last two weeks has been Medici. Played that three times now uh twice at three player and once at five player i think it goes two to six players so this is one of the i believe it's what one of the ones that they call Knizia's auction trilogy along with ra and i don't know what the third one is to be honest with you it's that Uh, one that you don't like isn't it is it modern art or maybe maybe i don't know yeah so either way todd would know todd let us know i'm sure I'm sure it's number one, two, and three on Todd's list. <laughs> Love you, Todd. Uh, yeah, so we play Medici. This is the I kickstarted this. It's from Grail Games with art from Vincent Dutrait, um, and it's basically just a simple auction game. This is not the type I typically like because it's more open ended as far as the the bidding is concerned. I'm more of a closed auction kind of guy, but um, I found myself liking this one i yeah i think i do like this one it's one of those things i liked it more at the five player count than i did at the three player um for a couple of different reasons because they played actually kind of differently um so in the game you're basically just um on your turn you're trying to gather the most valuable goods or as valuable as you can as well as types of goods because there's different goods tracks that you can go up and score as well um so on your turn you're going to flip out one two or three cards that start the auction block out 
And then it's a once around bid. So it's quick, which I like that part of it. Um, player to your left starts bids. And you, if you're the guy who flipped out the cards, you have the hammer and you can bring it on home with a higher bid if you want to. Um, you collect those cards and they go in your ship. Your ship has five good slots and you can have no more than five goods. So you got to keep in mind the number of cards you're collecting, the type of cards you're collecting, and the value of the cards you're collecting. Um, so it, it lends itself to some interesting kind of decisions as the game wears on. Um, more so I found with the five player because you're looking, there's a lot more variables. Um, one thing in the three player game that I found seemed different than in the five player game. Um, number one, it's the number of goods that you take out of the deck. So there's a lot more uncertainty in the three player game. You're taking out, I think it's 18 of the 30 cards, whereas in the five player game, you're only taking out six. So there's a little bit more of that. Hmm. That really could be in there. Whereas in the three player game, you're like, I have no clue if that card that I want is in there. Cause you took out half the deck, more than half the deck, actually. Um, uh, the other thing that, I noticed too is that the goods tracks so at the end of the round you're going to score whoever has the most uh, valuable goods in their ship is going to get 30 20 10 5 points depending on what place you finish last place gets zero in any of the modes so you don't want to be last because you get nothing um, but then you're also going to move up these these five tracks for the variable types of goods and then you're going to score based on who's in the lead on those tracks so in the three-player game, you could basically just go up like one or two spots on each of the tracks, and you're usually going to be tied with everyone else and split points. But in the, the five-player game, um, it seemed to be that people wanted to specialize more in one or two goods, and that really factored into how they were bidding and conducting the auction because, you know, all right, I see spices come out. I have no say in spices. I'm already five spots behind on the spice track. I can't score this. I'm just going to stick to my, my woolen goods because I, I do clothes that's what i do um yeah dan the pelt master i was a pelt master i was like conan or something uh, but yeah so there are a couple of different like small things i noticed but i've definitely preferred it at the higher player count from everyone on twitter they're saying you know five or six player is basically where that game shines and i'd have to agree from my experience with the five player um, that i prefer it at the higher counts so all in all it's good it's very pretty to look at it's uh, it's got a nice aesthetic as mr vincent likes to do um it's very recognizable as his game i mean you look at the box and you're like yep that's a dutre um but yeah i think it it holds up well. I, I will say that I prefer Ra over Medici if I had to choose between the two. Uh, Ra's kind of closed auction system and the push your luck aspect in that is a little more exciting for me. Um, but I do, I do like Medici. And like I said, I think it's great to pull out if I have five or six players. I thought it was pretty fun. Just to clarify, Modern Art is the third one in the trilogy. Okay. So, which I, is... Modern Art is good, but Modern Art's very mathy. And it it you can really stall and you're kind of like oh god if i do this it's worth this and then this yeah it's just it's ap central for me i think there was a fair bit of mathiness in this in the the first player the first play that we had it kind of ended halfway through we called it because dan kind of absentmindedly learned a valuable lesson about the gold card which is worth 10 points towards total and that threw off the balance and the second three-player game that we played was much tighter and we spent a lot of time kind of crunching numbers and and factoring in and I think that that's what led to such a, a close game what I found was similar to the first time we played compared to the, the third time we played with five players we had two players who were significantly behind I ended up in the middle and then Dan and Smee ended up towards the front end and I can't remember who exactly won but you guys were kind of racing the whole game Dan ended up winning and 
what I found was the two players at the end had a very difficult time making up any ground. And it seemed that I don't know if it was their style of play that maybe they misplayed somewhere along the way, but it was quite unforgiving in terms of your ability to come back and really make up a a large deficit to the point where even me in third place, I could see there, there might have been an opportunity for me to edge out maybe a second or even a win very closely, but I felt like I was pretty much out of it at, in the second round. Uh, the third round was kind of a mess, and I just started toying with different strategies in terms of the bidding, but I, I can't imagine how Kelly and Steve felt because they were so far behind for the it entire game. So here, the scores in our five-player game, this is how disparate they were. I won 123, Smee had 116, Matt had 79, Kelly had 55, and Steve had 51. So that's a 72-point difference between first and last. So maybe that's our play, or maybe that speaks to a, a bigger thing. But I do feel that even if they misplayed, I think that speaks to this game being very tight. Like, you've got to pay a lot of attention. You've got to kind of chip away at other people's leads. We got into that specialization problem where, yes, it helped us to focus in one area and guide our bidding. But it got to the point where three pelts would come out, and I would be sitting there as kind of, as I called it, like the gatekeeper to Dan's success. Like, I needed to bid on on that to stop him but if i got it i was basically shooting myself in the foot because it wasn't beneficial to me you know because even gaining three pelts wasn't going to put me where i needed to be to win so i i thought that that was an interesting thing i don't, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing but definitely something to keep in mind that that I don't, i'm not going to call it a runaway leader but you've got to be mindful of how everyone's interacting in terms of their bidding around the table. But I I did think it was fun. I liked it. And it seems like it would go quick. Our game ran a little bit long with five, but I think that once everybody knows what they're doing, it would go pretty, pretty breezy. Yeah. The math in this one is much easier than modern art for me. Modern art, you're dealing with like numbers in the hundreds. (laughs) Ah, I gotcha. So it just gets a little more um, complex for me, but I don't have that many fingers. What (laughs) it... What did this come in at, Dan? 30 bucks? 35 bucks? Uh, I think I backed it for... 35 shipped i think that's what it was yeah which i i think that's a great price yeah it's a fair price like yep. i said the components are not flashy but the art is nice um there's not a lot to it there's just a stack of little miniature euro cards and a couple of tokens for the scores so yeah so good stuff medici one of the games that i want to chat about that i've gotten to play three times i played two player three player and four player is via nebula which is the new newest martin wallace i believe this is space cowboys is that right dan yep okay So it is a route building game, and thematically, it's basically non-existent. It's got some kind of theme where you're exploring some fog, and the artwork's nice, but I didn't even read what the theme was until my third game. I just didn't pay any attention to it. It, It's kind of bland and pasted on. But essentially what you're doing is, is route building. Dan calls this a train game, which I still don't know how I feel about that, but he essentially calls it like a, a little light train game, which is train fair. Train game. Substitute the meadows for tracks, and yeah. it's a train game. Yeah, so you're, <laughs> you're building routes. Essentially what you do is you have two action points per turn. You got six actions to choose from. Those actions allow you to open up little resource stores where you can transport from. To You can build tracks, and then you can start buildings, which you transport your goods to your buildings, and then you complete building cards, which are essentially goal cards for a certain number of resources. So a, a building might cost a wood, a pig, and a brick. So if you get all three of those resources onto your building, you can complete that building. And then end of the game is most points. Um, after somebody has built five buildings, the game will end. It's super light. It's got a two-sided board. 
uh, one side is the kind of like the easy beginner board, the other one is the advanced board. I just started playing the advanced board because there's really no difference except the routes are harder to construct, they're a little bit further away, and there's a few more obstacles. So other than that, there's nothing difficult about the advanced board. Uh, the gameplay, I'm still up in the air on. I do not dislike it. I find it to be easy, I find it to be quick, and the game never lasts very long, but it's not very engaging. Like, it's, the decision making is low, if I had to kind of rate it on a scale. It, you know, you kind of know where you're going, you know what you want to do, and I find that you get stuck more than you have breakthroughs. You know, you spend a lot of time, like, trying to undo problems rather than make progress, if that makes sense. So one thing that did stand out problematically is that for the four-player game, we actually ran out of resources in one of the five resource types, which really throws off the game because we ran out of pigs and all the contracts require pigs, so you can't build your buildings, and that's the end game trigger. So we looked that up online, and there is no solution to this. People are house ruling it that if you run out of a resource, you just end the game early, which seems crazy. So that is a definite problem and something that I do not like. Uh, but so those are some of my thoughts on Via Nebula. Dan, you got to play this too. Yeah, I played it twice. Um, once with you at two player and once at three player. So we didn't have that four player problem, but that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it's, uh, it's <laughs> so weird. It just sounds dumb. But um, I, I sit probably in the same boat as you, just floating in this ocean of indecision. Um, just just let that that uh, metaphor <laughs> marinate for a minute. Talk about relaxing board uh, game talk. Yes, exactly. This is like Zen podcast reviewing right here. <laughs> afterwards yeah because you could basically just build a zen garden while you're playing this game because you don't have to pay attention um not not too much you do a little bit but it's so yeah it's it's one of those games and i I typically like these games that have those like micro actions like you get two micro actions doing your turn pass it's usually quick it's simple it goes around I completely agree. This one just did not engage me at all. I just kind of looked at the board. I'm like, okay, I can do that. that. Okay, done. And then I just turned away and looked at my phone or something. Like, I really wasn't too, I don't know. Engage is a great word. Um, There are a couple of, uh, it's better with more players, I think, simply due to the fact that anyone can use resources on the board. So by you laying down tracks, aka meadows, um, you're opening up resources to other people, essentially. So there's that little game of chicken that's played. Um, but at the end of the day, you just need to get your resources. So like, there's a point where you just flip and go, I really don't care what other people are doing. I have to race them to this. Let's yeah. do this kind of thing. Um, so there's a couple of different ways to score, which is nice. I know the last time we played, like I beat you guys by two buildings. Like The end game trigger was five buildings, and I yeah. triggered it, and you guys still had two buildings, and I lost, which was kind of weird, but the, the points vary on the different buildings as, as well as the abilities. So it, it made sense. I only built little buildings, and you had bigger ones, but yeah. All in all, I'd rather play a train game, I, I think. Uh, I'd rather play Steam or something a little more meaty that gives me the same kind of feeling of route building and delivery. Uh, because, yeah. And this one, for the price point, while the components are excellent, uh, the insert is typical Space Cowboys. I mean, the resource trays are shaped like the resource. It's kind of cool. cool. The, pig, the pig tray is a pig. Um, but it's not a $60 game whatsoever. This is a this is a $40 box game. There's not enough in that box. I don't know if I'm done with it or not. I, like I said, I've played it three times. I'm willing to play it more. I do not think that there's anything to explore in terms of depth. I think I've pretty much seen no, what the game has to, to offer. On. We've got but other I, stuff to play. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for me, like, it, it might not be bad to break out with Kel. <coughs> it is a nice little Euro game. It, ta- it goes quick. I don't know that I have anything that does what it does, but I do know that there are games that exist that do what it does better. You'll have Storm Chasers in about six months. What up? Yes, but that's not quite <laughs> no, not quite the same. So, I don't know. Via Nebula is, is up in the air. I think that it's fine. I would not pay full price for it. Uh, if anyone wants a copy, let me know, and we can work out a trade. Because I, I'm not that dedicated to it. But it won't go anywhere if if nobody comes looking for it. So, anyway. Tiffany B., you have played so many games. I hate to take up all the time. What else is happening in your life? Um, I also played Agility. I need to hear about it, this. <laughs> it's a two-player game about um, agility dogs. And your goal is to get three of your dogs across these different courses. And there are six courses that go out during the game. And you're just trying to get your dogs through them. The way you do that is each course has about five obstacles. And each obstacle has a certain kind of treat or combination of treats that the dog needs to get in order to clear that obstacle. So you're collecting treats with the cards that you get. And on your turn, you play one card. It has a number on it that lets you move the rondelle. There's a rondelle with different actions on it as well. So you you move that many on the rondelle, you take the treats on the card, and you do the action. And then you try to get your dogs across. It's pretty simple. Oh, and, and you have to buy your dogs. You don't really start with them. So you also have to save up treats to buy dogs. But it's, it's pretty simple. But I really liked it. It's meaty for a two-player, I think. Now, this is the same people as uh, Morels. Morels. Have you played that as well? Yes, and I really like Morels, too. Where do they fall in comparison in terms of weight? This is rated as as a fairly low uh, weight game on BGG. I I mean, uh, it's been a long time since I played Morels, so I don't want to say. But, I mean, is it really super complicated? No, but I think that a lot of two-player games, like, that are designed specifically for two players are generally not super heavy. It has some planning. It the, the actions themselves are are simple, but I don't know. I found it interesting and and you have planning that you have to do and if you mess up which kind of treats you're trying to collect, it can get weird. As a dog lover, did that resonate with you at all? I you know, it doesn't feel like super doggy (laughs) there are dog cards the dog art is good you different dogs can do different things that they have special abilities that let them clear certain obstacles and things like that but i don't know i'm not like oh yeah i like this because i like dogs so i i picture your dog sitting like while you're playing this game (laughs) and he's got this one slow tear falling from his (laughs) eye as he sits in his dog stroller and he's like damn it she wants a more agile dog like it's like giving out the like i just i just picture this like with sarah mclaughlin playing in the background and everyone in the room is just crying is that her yeah that's pretty good but i think he's thinking in the arms of an angel oh that's the song from that commercial sorry yeah that's what i yeah i couldn't remember what the song whatever commercial it is i mute as soon as it comes on anytime because it's just like man that's sad and that one-eyed dog comes up and you're like oh my god Oh, God. You need to go adopt a puppy. Uh, yeah, but no, that's right. I just picture like your dog <laughs> and you like just just crying. Like, oh, remember when you could be agile? And he's like, no, I'm in a stroller now. And he's like, ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, I mean, 
Kingsley doesn't live in the stroller. He's not just always, he can walk. He just like can't walk long distances. Oh, see, if I had a stroller like that, I'd be, I'd be chilling in it. <laughs> he has gotten to the point where I need to carry him up the stairs. So that's, that's a little sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, my dogs were kind of maybe in a crate while I played this. And that's kind of sad. Awful. Awful. If you think about it. But I don't know if you like set collection and you like rondelles and it's an interesting theme. I think if the theme works, I love you get the little theme. cute dog meeples, little tiny different colored dog meeples. I used to do some dog agility training. It was pretty cool. Did so, you? Yeah, we That's did weird. it as part of uh, animal assisted therapy with some of our troubled youths. Uh, we would teach them we would teach them how to teach the dogs agility tricks and it was really kind of satisfying so the theme really resonates with me it's kind of cool but it sounds like it's more mechanical than doggy so yeah i mean i like i said it's not super duper thematic i'm not like oh yeah go dog like i'm not rooting for my dog (laughs) as i play do you name them uh, they have, like, they don't have, they, that's what they should have done is given each dog a name. Yeah. They have, like, the breed. Oh. I, I learned some new dog breeds, but, really? uh, yeah, they, I guess you should name your dog. That would maybe make it more thematic. I'd be all but, about that. Do you ever have to retire your dogs? No. In the saddest They just way? make it through the, <laughs> no. <laughs> they just make it through the course and you're like, yay, I did it. Oh, okay. And there are there are rewards if you're the first one to make it through a course and stuff like that. But I mean, there are a lot of little things that I like about this. Okay. And I didn't mention this. And one of the big things is the rondelle is variable. It has little tokens that you can pop into the hole. Like yeah. it's a nine, ten space rondelle and you can pop these little tokens. So it's different every time. Is the rondelle a dog bowl? No, but with the Kickstarter version, I got a little tiny handcrafted dog bowl. That's cool. I remember that being a stretch goal thing. What is that? Is that to feed a tiny dog or? Yes. What do you do do with that? Is it a paperweight? I mean, that's what I used it for. Is it like a first player marker? Maybe. I don't know. We didn't use it. Tiff sips espresso out of it. No, I just, I know like in Morels, like they had the little frying pans, but those are actual like in-game components. It's not an actual in-game component. So you just, you just got a tiny dog bowl in case you one day adopt a tiny dog. Yeah. No, I, I, I had it sitting and I had like a little dog meeple next to it. You put it at the end of the course so that when your dogs make it through, they can have a drink. You get a drink. Good job, buddy. Yeah. That's really, it's really good immersion. (laughs) (laughs) And there is some take that in it, which was kind of surprising. You can, there's like a... You can stick your dogs one, on other people? There's the distraction uh, action on the rondelle. So it lets you add difficulty to your opponent's, one of your opponent's obstacles. Is there the big juicy steak card? <laughs> I wish it was a big juicy steak. That would be the perfect distraction. It sounds like we should have designed this game. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it's fun. I liked it. I will play it again. I think it's it's got some neat things going on. And for a two-player game, it, it it's it's the weight I would want a two-player game to be. It took us about 45 minutes to play, I think, on the first play. I'm keeping an eye out for it for when it, it drops. It's around. Some people are selling their copies, but I don't think it's hit full retail yet. So yeah. I'm looking around. I'd recommend it. It's yeah. fun. You'd like it. Yeah. All right, Dan. What else you been getting into? Uh, non Gen Con Con wise, yeah, not much. Not much. So I need I need to know, Dan. What? I need to know. What do you need to know? 
While Tiff just played the perfect two-player weight game, how was your not-so-perfect two-player weight game? What? You, what? It's early. Help me. You played Star Wars Rebellion yesterday. Oh, I don't know. I did. How did I you did. forget I, that? I, I just wasn't I wasn't picking up on your leading questions here. I didn't know what we were talking about. Um. Yeah, I played Star Wars Rebellion. It was cool. So before you get into it, I need to know, what is it about Dan Licata that makes you willing to play these games? Is he just that handsome that you're like, I'm going to sit here for five hours across from this guy? I, I always said I'd play Star Wars Rebellion. I don't. I, that's on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that. I just said I didn't want to own it. I have no need for a $100 game that plays in six hours. <laughs> All right. Tell me about the experience. It's a two-player giant space thing. The rebels are hiding their base and the Empire is moving around dominating the rebels trying to find their base um i i liked the the core concept i liked i played as the rebels so i got to hide my base which is cool i mean there's not much to it other than picking a planet and saying this is where my base is but you're trying to like misdirect and throw uh the empire off your scent so to speak which i did a couple of times pretty successfully um i ultimately won the game as the rebels um which is cool so what happens is the rebels are trying to basically just hold out um there's these two there's a time track that has two markers one is the actual time track and the other is the rebels i guess they're the mission track and if at any point think like rattle bones or something if the time track meets the mission track at the end of the round then the rebels win they've held out long enough cool uh the empire wins if they find and destroy the rebel base pretty simple i won probably a turn before i was about to lose i completed three missions in an epic battle and it moved the time tracker three space or the mission thing three spaces and hit the time track on the next turn which is cool so yeah it borrows a lot i i, I noticed a couple of similarities to like twilight imperium especially the movement activation um that was very twilight imperium um almost verbatim to be honest with you, like if you have a marker in a space, you can't then leave that space because you've already activated that system kind of thing. As the rebels, and I guess as the Imperials too, there's a lot of cards to manage. So you've got like mission cards and these tiny little cards. And then you've got your objective cards. And I just had this whole thing of cards and I'm drawing every round. And yeah, that, that got a bit confusing after a while. Not that it was hard, but, and it did for me, and again, this is a first time play. I, I could see this having something along the lines of like the Twilight Struggle problem where you kind of need to know what your opponent can do. Otherwise, you just kind of are going into it blindly, which is probably part of the reason I won. But at any one point, you can have up to 10 cards in your hand. And yeah, you know what they are from turn to turn because there's some repeats. But that's a lot to like manage for me, like 10 cards and eight action people. And so it was an easy game overall, the rule set. But just just a lot to manage the first couple turns. It was easy once I got into it. I will say the length is probably the biggest problem for me. That that game's too long. I think it could be shorter and it would be more enjoyable for me. But it's like one of those games. It's, it's one of those games like a Twilight Imperium. Like you could play it like once, maybe twice a year and probably be happy with it. So I had no issues with the game itself uh, other than the time. That was my biggest thing. I just, I, opportunity cost of six hours is like three or four other games. And when I'm limited in time already, it's just tough to, to rationalize playing a six hour game over playing f four two hour games. You know what I mean? So um that's that's where I stand. I liked it. Four two-hour games is eight hours, Dan. I know, but I'm saying, like, I could play. <laughs> it was six and some change. It was like six and a half yeah. hours we played or something like that. 
Ben and I did it in five, I think. And it was the same deal where I lost one turn before I was going to win, but it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked that a FFG thematic game, two player only with dice, and you don't have any major criticisms. I mean, uh, there's like nitpicky things. Um, it was heavily thematic. I'll give it that. I was very impressed with how they tied the theme in. Like Vader tried to capture my Obi-Wan and I let him and then I used the sacrifice and I got the extra point and he captured leia and you know obi-wan came and rescued like there was some really thematic things that happened jedi luke and like i was very impressed with the theme and i'm a huge star wars guy so that naturally that theme naturally gets a you know a plus one regardless of if it's ffg or not because i love star wars but um yeah i mean it had dice i How thought the way they the did combat i thought combat was interesting the way that you had two different types of uh hit dice um some that rendered others useless that kind of thing so and the tactics cards is kind of a blind draw kind of thing but you could mitigate that with the leaders so yeah i got I, I understood what they were doing and i knew going in it was going to be an ffg um heavily thematic game so usually i have no issue with that if my expectations are set correctly it's when i go into it and i'm like oh i gotta roll dice are you kidding me you know what i mean like that's when i'm usually the most perturbed okay um, well so. then i'm gonna bring star wars rebellion over this afternoon and it'll be great uh <laughs> i don't know i don't have five hours yeah there's three other games we could play but <laughs> All right, let's talk about another game that I've been playing that we or that we played twice. We played Captain Sonar, and I'd like to talk about this. Tiff, do you know anything about Captain Sonar? No. Do you know we anything about, about it? Dice Duel, uh, the the Space Cadets Dice Duel. Space Cadets Underwater. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically, it's two teams. You can play real time or turn based, but turn based is kind of a a variant mode. So we played real time. We had. We played two games. We played a two-on-two and a three-on-two. And like Dan said, it's like Space Cadets Dice Duel Underwater. You have four different stations. You're trying to move the sub, activate sub systems like mines and torpedoes and radar. You're trying to track the other team's movement. And you're trying to uh, manage like a failing system. Basically, in your sub, things are starting to blow up and you need to repair them and things like that. So all four of these things are happening at the same time. And it's kind of like Space Cadets Dice Duel underwater with battleship stuff it's kind of weird you can play it with as low as two i don't know how that would work in terms of how it would be successful but it is possible you'd have to manage a lot of systems uh we i think we all enjoyed it dan was originally kind of against playing he did some periscoping you can see the video on our twitter at league nonsense and he didn't want to play we suckered him into playing the second game and he openly admitted that he had fun at least tracking the uh the other team it's got some interesting tense moments where you're trying to uh decide when to like surface and repair when you're Dan like thought he lost them at one point and then found them again and we were able to shoot them down and you're trying to fire missiles at the same time and try to be the first one to get there. Uh, you're using your radar and things like that to uncover where everyone is. It's it's not very complicated, but it's intense and I think it's a lot of fun. I, I would really like to play it with six or eight people because I think it would really shine there. But I say Captain Sonar is cool. It sounds cool. Have you guys played Space Cadets Dice Duel? Yes. <laughs> and that was my original um I was wary to buy it. Steve ended up buying Captain Sonar. I was thinking about it, but the first time we played Dice Duel, we played with six, maybe eight people. I think it was six. And it was horrible. It's one of the worst game experiences I've ever had. Um in terms of I was fine with it, but the other five or seven people at the table hated it. 
hated it and I immediately traded it away. Like I've never traded a game faster. So I didn't <laughs> want to lean into Captain Sonar because one, it's hard to get a lot of people together. And two, I know that everyone like we told Mike about it and Mike was like, oh, it sounds like Space Cadets and that game effing sucks. So I'm not playing this. Right. I still have Space Cadets Dice Duel and Shrink. Uh, so if anybody's looking for a copy of that, let me know. But uh, because my group played Space Cadets and hated it so much, so I couldn't get them to play Dice Duel. This one compares more to Space Cadets, the regular one, I think. Uh, but I, I don't know. It doesn't have, like, it's not dexterity minigames or anything well, like that. Well, no, but I, th- I feel like the, the minigames were fleshed out more in Space Cadets. Than, and then you don't have the dice rolling kind of element, which, you know what I mean? Like... It's yeah. all skill-based and communication, as opposed to dice duel, which is rolling and you could be boned by the roll kind of thing. That's okay. that's where I'm comparing them. But yep. I will say this game is 200 times better than Space Cadets. Um, well, that's but reassuring. I, my hesitation is always because I don't like real-time games. I'm not a fan Neither of them. Neither do I. Um, it is cool that they give the turn-based. And if they would have said, let's play the turn-based, I would have been like, all right, yeah, I'll play the turn-based. Because I like the, t- like, that's more my speed, like, I can think. But uh, it does have some interest, like, the stations are actually, like, my thing with Space Cadets was the stations were boring. Like, there was, like, one that you wanted to be, and if you weren't that, it was like, oh, great. I'm the guy who just does this thing that I don't want to do, kind of thing. But the the stations in Captain Sonar are actually kind of interesting. And I got to do the one which, for me, just on cursory review, seems like the most fun. At least for me, because I like deduction. And this was a heavily deduction-based role. I'm trying to find them based on what they're shouting out. Um, Matt was just filling in some boxes. I probably would have got bored doing what Matt was doing, to be honest with you. But that's just, that's not me. And, and Smee was the captain. And I think I think the captain and the radio guy are where I would probably sit best. The other two, I don't think, would have been my speed. But um it worked, and it was fun. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't need, as I've talked to like people playing it, gen con and stuff they said it's an eight player game but you can play it with less um i could see three on three probably working well i wouldn't play it two on two or one versus one i thought that was a bit yeah you guys while you guys while i watched the two on two game and it just it wasn't that exciting to watch i know you guys might have been having fun doing it. i'm just you can speak to that but it just was like you guys were too busy trying to like keep track of all the different things it seemed like two on two might be better for like the turn based and then you get the more people the more the real time comes into effect so i don't know it was fun i i i I would recommend it if you like space cadets especially and if you like games that play up to eight party-ishly i mean i would say that this is one of the few eight player games that really isn't a party game like this is it's a strategy game to some extent. I don't know that it's heavy strategy, but it's it's not yeah, it's not cool. a it's not a deduction game, it's not a werewolf, it's not a coup, it's not a a hidden role kind of game. It it's hidden movement, so it's got a little bit of that, but I think it's more interesting. Like this is a gamer's party game if you want to put it in there. Like it it's just got a little bit more to it if you have eight people. That's fair. So, yeah. No, like I said, it's it's much better than like Space Cadets for me for the sheer reason that the roles are interesting and they're engaging. Yeah. Space Cadets was mind numbing and just people shouting and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, this is a little bit more low key. So anyway, any other big highlights that we want to talk about that you've been playing? Silence. I do want to make <laughs> one comment. I played the Versus System Alien Battles expansion, which is the four alien movies put into the versus two-player system uh 
the art is really good on it and the reason why i bring that up is because we looked at the art in firefly and i already talked to tiff about this dan you want to give you know in 140 characters or less how you feel about the firefly art sucks <laughs> everywhere uh, i've been let me seeing caveat that there's like it's probably like 40 percent good art 60 percent bad art there's some really good like the character avatars are excellent are really like, good they, they remind me of like the comic book um they're like excellent and then you've got some ones that look like my son drew them like they're pathetic like i i don't you know i'm not an artist so maybe that's this guy's style he does this i don't know like but you need a new style dude that's not appealing <laughs> well i told tiff it's not even a matter of preferences or aesthetic preferences it's a matter of form and just like clarity like some things just aren't the shape that they should be yeah yeah no like the the guns that look like they're bending like that was weird and then like kaylee looks like she weighs like 300 pounds in one thing like and she's like a stick figure in the show there's just a couple of things that look like the one where mal's like throwing i guess a knife in the air but it looks like a mix between like a shuriken and a butter knife (laughs) like it's just bizarre and i'm all for like i'm really i think it's really cool when you can get a game that collaborates different art styles and stuff but this one that just seems like they dropped the ball and tried to rush it on a couple i don't know but yeah i yeah i like the idea of having like you know every episode have a different artist kind of thing they do that with uh time stories and i love it but time stories does it right like they do it excellent (laughs) yeah yeah well versus system alien battles the art is really spectacular it's better than the legendary art which is it's just so weird that this all comes from upper deck and why wouldn't they just pick a handful of quality artists like and that's the, the thing upper deck can afford it like i know of all the companies they had a freaking they had the big trouble little china mac truck parked in the middle of gen con like <laughs> if that doesn't say we've got the cash to make this then <laughs> like, well and their whole uh, thing is like pictures on cards is what upper deck does yeah. whether it's baseball cards or, or playing cards or whatever you know pictures on cards is what they do And yet you get such variable things like both of these are upper deck. They're both alien, but this art is better than that art. And the Firefly art is all it's just it's strange how these things happen. And a lot of people are starting to notice the Firefly art is is another thing on Twitter. I every time I open Twitter, I see at least one picture of like, oh, man, look at this art. So that's too bad. But I'm super happy that I didn't buy Firefly, (laughs) y'all. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll play it. I <laughs> still think that the gameplay might be playing. okay. Yeah, it's not going to deter me from playing because I'm not in a deck builder. You're looking at those cards like not for the art. Once you get into yeah. the game, kind of thing. But but even like legendary is good. The Marvel stuff looks good. I don't get it. The Marvel stuff has like a set catalog. You know what I mean? Like to choose from. Yeah. 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 I just right. like to have a game that's the total package. It looks good and it plays good. And there are plenty of games out there yeah. that do that. I think Dan made the comment about like dropping the fancy neoprene board, drop the price, throw the money into the art kind of thing. Yeah. Make the I box smaller. <laughs> I'm, I'm no the less box. excited to play it. Like I really want to play it because I'm a huge Firefly guy. So Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to recap Gen Con 2016 with Dan and Tiff. Join us for that. All right, everyone, welcome back. It is officially time to uh, recap Gen Con 2016, the biggest American convention that we have. Dan and Tiff were there. You guys, when did you get there? Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday afternoon. Now, the show doesn't officially start till Thursday, though, so you were there a little bit ahead of time, although everyone gets there on Monday now. (laughs) 
that so, I was there later than I normally do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So some stats about Gen Con 2016. The attendance was up 2.5%. They had, and that's turnstile because they do it weird. So it's over 200,000 people walked through the doors. Uh, in terms of unique attendance, the report is that that actually stayed relatively stable around 61,000 people so what that means is that the same number of people are coming but they're staying for more days so that's cool you know I guess people want to see what they want to see and uh, the exhibitor total was over 500 exhibitors companies manufacturers people who make goods Uh, so what did you guys think in terms of the size and the scope of Gen Con how did it feel this year ladies first (laughs) why is it always ladies first um I didn't feel like it was super crowded or anything this year until Sunday, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Like they have the family day on Sunday. And so when we were walking around in there on Sunday, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people here. But for the most part, it felt the same. It so wasn't... I haven't been in Gen Con in a while. And the last time I was at Gen Con, I was trying to get through the exhibitor hall and I would literally be elbow to elbow with people and kind of like shuffle stepping along. I couldn't make a full stride. Yeah, that's the same. You still can't make a full stride. And I think the food trucks seemed busier this year. Okay. So that's what I was wondering. Like how does I think it felt a little more open because they increased the vendor hall by like a quarter or something. Like they opened up they cut into the demo hall and put like entrepreneur row like was like eight rows this year and that had its own section so i think just by opening it up it kind of dispersed the crowd a little bit more okay in my opinion but it was still really crowded um there's certain areas like the the trick is like you walk through the artist gallery if you're trying to get somewhere quick because yeah there's like seven people in there and you walk along the walls so if you like walk along the outsides like you can cruise but if you go through the middle you're gonna you're gonna have to do some um, physical assault. Yeah, if you're going <laughs> by those popular booths, forget about you're it. Gonna you're going to commit a misdemeanor. The baby steps. Yeah, yeah <laughs> someone's going to be getting a bow. So, in terms of like the layout, where were the big people? Was it like so? Last time, again, last time I was there was a couple years ago. FFG booth was like smack dab in the middle, and they had lines going all over the place. Like, are your Asmodees, your uh, your FFGs, like where were they? How are they to get to and get through? Same, they're all in the yeah. middle. The all only the difference middle from all. probably the last time you were there, and that it, it changed last year, is like Asmodee now has a closed booth like FFG, so you have to get in line to go walk through their booth, which okay. is annoying as because in the past it was so nice to just walk through the asmo day booth um, but now they sit you in a line they let like three people in at a time you have to go through that whole thing and that just annoys me and gen con in general is starting to annoy me but i'll let you guys talk first before i get into no it. i think i think i feel the same way i'm feeling less and less like i need to go to gen con every year it's convenient for me because it's only like two and a half hours away from columbus so I'll probably go, but I don't think I really need to go for as long for the rest of my life, just because it, like Dan was saying, it is kind of annoying. And some of those bigger publishers that have these closed booths, it actually like prevents me. I just won't go into their booth. I can wait. Did any of you guys stand in a line to get into a booth? We we stood in asthma day, but only until it, it was like Saturday afternoon when there was like six people in it. Okay, just to yeah, see like, what cool they mini. had. Yeah, yeah, cool mini was lines and. Yeah, I never went into that booth because it was just insanity. You didn't I'm miss not, anything. Nothing, nothing in that booth was worth the wait to me. No, 
just a bunch of cool mini games no but somebody interested in it, it you know it can be preventative right it can get in the way of you accessing the entire com because you spend half you know half your time waiting in a line if you're if you're looking for something specific at like ffg cool mini like that's your entire morning slash afternoon wasted just standing in line for that game when the the reality is like mansions of madness was released the same day in retail cool mini or not oh, games yeah. are coming out in two weeks everything asmodee puts out is already out now except for uh Inus, and no one even knew that was going to be there so it's it's just getting it's just silly for me like i have no need to stand in a line like even when tiff and i were at the doors like i didn't even get my press pass this year early because i was like you know what i don't there's nothing in there i'm rushing for the one game i really wanted oceanos uh ben pinchback picked up for me thanks ben um while he was in there with his exhibitor badge um but even uh, even i noticed though a lot of booths now because gen con has that vig program the very important gamers and people pay like five hundred dollars for this pass and they get to go into the hall early and so what publishers are doing because i think they're catching a lot of flack is that they're no longer selling a lot of the big ones to exhibitors or press in those early hours to prevent the vigs from getting boned because what was happening was the exhibitors and press were in there earlier than the vigs they were buying up all the hotness and then these people that paid six hundred dollars to have this privilege were getting getting anything weren't getting anything so i know plaid hat the sea falls were only sold to the vigs and they were all gone by the time anyone even got in there even the press um harry potter wasn't selling them uh yellow wasn't selling oceanos ben actually had to grab someone and say hey can you buy this for me because they wouldn't sell it to him because he had an exhibitor badge so for me it's getting like that running of the bulls was like the fun part but i this year i was like yeah screw it i'm gonna sleep in i'm gonna get there for 10 o'clock like we got there at like 9 20 yeah we waited yeah. 40 minutes we sat there and talked um and then we went in and tiff's like where do you want to go i was like i don't care like i yeah. was just i think was, we both felt that way it was like let's go right like i really had no <laughs> And that's another part of the reason that Gen Con's starting to bore me is the releases just are not, for me, they're not fitting my gaming tastes. Gen Con is becoming Ameritrash Central, which is not a bad thing. And let me say that, like, that's not a bad thing. There's tons of people that love these games. But for me, I find that my audience is Essen and the need for me to be at Gen Con to get this new hotness, to get the scoops on things like that is less and less <laughs> so well and it would make sense that that gen con be the hub for ameritrash yeah, games no, i no, mean no. it's an american style i mean i don't really have a style of game anymore but uh i do get more excited for essen than i do gen con and i think a lot of it does have to do with the simultaneous release that a lot of publishers are doing now you know you're not going to have to wait a very long time to get the games in your hand anyway um, you know, the thing with Essen is like, oh, should I try to get this right away? Because is it going to take another, you know, six months before it's out in the U.S.? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. And when and- I know it's going to be out in two weeks, I I can wait. I'm not going to get it played in the two weeks unless I'm going to play it at the convention. I can wait. And that's why I sold uh, my Terraforming Mars on the spot. And we can talk about that in a second. It's not that I didn't like the game. It's like it'll be out for half price in three weeks kind of thing. So um yeah for me gen con is all about seeing people that i don't see but even this year i noticed that's getting less and less because the the group we like to associate with they're they're 
all designers and publishers and they've got meetings and demos and pitches and yeah they're working yeah yeah they're doing they're doing their business and that's why they're there and you only really see those people at night and then even then you only get like one maybe two games in so for me it's just the the cost i'm still like i i think i'll probably still go next year but the cost benefit analysis is getting dimmer i don't know what the word is i'm looking for here but it's just not exciting i'd almost rather save the money and go to essen <laughs> like i can almost probably spend similar um, yeah so in yeah, terms the, of oh go ahead no i was gonna say the only thing about gen con yeah that's the only time that all those people are going to be in one place together you know what i mean like origins. you might not get to see for, for a lot of people that and origins are their two big ones right so if i have friends a lot of my north carolina friends those are the only times that i see them are at those two conventions like i go down i'll probably go down for the marathon this year so it's a little bit different and i have a better opportunity with that to get to hang out with them that has always been my reason since i actually started making friends at conventions to go to gen con not as much for the games even last year we got our press badges and i did have a game or two in mind to get the one game that i really wanted i waited in line for and then played it eight months later i think i'm just becoming wise to my gaming habits and so it's just feels less pressing to be there yeah yeah it was nice this year to just not want anything yeah and we it was freeing yeah tiff and i stuck to our under eight so So, and that's what i wanted to kind of transition to so a con that's not really fitting either of your needs but you still managed to find some games so what are the games that you picked up not necessarily played but what did you guys end up buying well the big box game i i stuck to the under eight i only bought seven games and i only bought one actual big box game that was more than 20 bucks and that was the pandemic cthulhu version nice so i bought that <laughs> and then what else was on what what uh little games did you grab um i got box of rocks which is a filler trivia game i got space planets which is a haba game I bought Dwarves Fall, which is just kind of a weird area control worker placement, kind of take thatty, really small box, kind of. (laughs) It was just a weird thing that I didn't know was there. So I bought it because it was 20 bucks and I wanted to check it out. (laughs) So So I guess that speaks to Oh, Ice Cool and Codenames Uh Pictures. Cool. All right. So some of the games that were more recognizable, but a bunch of games that weren't so much. Dan, how about you? What'd you pick up? Um, I wound up with seven. I bought eight, but like I just mentioned, I sold Terraforming Mars um, to our friend Jessica. Um, I bought Legendary Encounters Firefly, uh, Oceanos, Lotus, Grimslingers, which was kind of on a whim, uh, Codenames Pictures, which was a pre-order, Save the Cupcake, which was probably my favorite Oh, I got game. that one too. <laughs> and uh, my find of the convention was my copy of Ferenz, which was not a new release. This is an out-of-print kind of grailish game for me. So um, that's all I bought. And Terraforming Mars I grabbed but sold. Okay, so you guys each grabbed, you know, 16 games between you, less than that. How was availability and I guess this kind of speaks to the comment that I want to make is that it speaks to the nature of the show and that you guys grabbed a bunch of games that weren't really on people's top tens and hotnesses and like that none of those games were really on my radar too much. So it it sounds like you guys managed to find some things, but a lot of that was smaller or more indie, things like that. 
Well, that that kind of speaks to what we were talking about before of like the the cry havocs, the sea falls, the mansions of madnesses. Those were all coming out in like three weeks. Like I had no need to kind of rush. I, I just I felt it was worth my time to just more explore more of the littler areas, the smaller areas. The one game I really wanted but I couldn't get, which I'll have to get in retail. Thankfully, it comes out in a couple of weeks. Is the Harry Potter Hogwarts battle? Yeah, um, that was probably my one or two i think oceanos was my number one um and ben managed to get that for me but that was only 50 copies a day uh vikings on board was only 50 copies a day cry havoc sold out before the hall opened seafall sold out before the hall opened um the ticket to ride the new rails and sales that sold out thursday morning so all the big titles that people were kind of hyping were gone before the hall even opened to be honest like those vigs got their money's worth um because they were running around so I, I've got a question that I'll lead off of that in a second, but I, I did want to talk about. So we, we had the 500 exhibitors or more. Did you find that there was a lot of small indie or like one or two game publishers floating around that you could check out? And were you able to get to those more readily, more easily? Yep. I mean, they have that entrepreneur alley, which is a much bigger area now. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people with one or two games in that section of the hall. Yeah, it's not even a, it's not so much an alley anymore. It's more like a boulevard. Block, like, yeah. When they first started, like you could be jumped and stabbed or touched inappropriately, <laughs> but now you got a little bit of breathing room. You can walk two ways. It's it's yeah, entrepreneur boulevard. Okay, so I mean, I guess this, it folds into one of the things that I'm wondering since I haven't I haven't been able to go to Gen Con because it's interacted with the school year or trainings or my honeymoon or whatever. So that that early August is like prime time to get things done. And what I'm wondering is. Is, am I really missing anything? What is Gen Con offering gamers if it's getting hard to see your friends, if the titles are selling out, you know, the well, first day of the con? Like, what is what's Gen Con's purpose these days? Let me, let me specify. It's not hard to see your friends. I'm just saying a lot of the people that we associate with and we hang out with are in the business. That's just that's kind of a specialty case. I think people that go in groups of people like, you know are gaming constantly like they do what they do but i'm just saying okay. that for us between having to do like some press things and i spoke on two panels which took up like a couple hours of my friday and saturday and, and things like that like it's just becoming it's becoming harder and scarcer i was what okay. I would say but so that's what me. is gen con offering us then I'll, I'll specify it down to the micro um the the chance to see those people i think i mean when it comes down to it i guess the chance to feel like you're not missing out on something yeah but i don't think you are missing out on anything your bank will be missing out on a bunch when you get home um (laughs) that's that's the downside like it's an expensive convention i mean if you got roommates it's it's easier but food is always eating out and the games obviously depending on how you are with those games you could do i was my games i bought seven but they came in under 200 bucks which is pretty awesome yeah Uh, yeah. because five of them were small box kind of things so i don't know i mean it's good it's a good convention like and if you're into like the tournaments and demoing games it's really great for that i don't do a lot of demoing because it's just too manic and that thing and i don't do a lot of tournaments or kind of scheduled events um but it offers all of that in spades i did a tournament this year (laughs) i did the clask tournament Which is I've awesome. Never, I've never done any kind of tournament. That's not like my bag. I'm not super competitive when it comes to games and the pressure would stress me out. But I got introduced to Clask while I was there and played like a lot of it. 
and uh, got talked into entering the tournament. It was actually pretty fun. Yeah. So there. Yeah. I'm sure that's a little more manageable. I think the last tournament that I was in was like the Netrunner Worlds with, with Dan. And that's like a day and a half burn. Right. So it's weird to pay money to go and like sit in the same place for an entire day. Yeah, I guess. But where else are you going to get that experience? It's true. That's true. You know? I mean, if you're if you're coming to Gen Con to have a unique gaming experience, you're going to get it, most likely. There's something there. Yeah. But, I mean, I think there is a little bit of that fear of missing out. I, You know, you don't... I don't overschedule myself or schedule myself at all for the conventions, and that came out of fear of missing out, but sometimes it feels like maybe you're just sitting around waiting for something to happen sometimes when you do that. I don't know. There are plenty of panels and interesting things to go to. It's just, I don't know how many people are doing that because I don't do that. I'm super prone to that feeling. I, I always look on Twitter and I'm like, man, I wish I was doing that or man, I was doing that. I, you know, I track Dan and Dan's always doing fun stuff and I'm always super jealous about the games that he's playing and the things that he's doing. And this, and maybe this is because I was enjoying my honeymoon in Europe with my lovely wife, but I found Wi-Fi a couple of times and I looked through Twitter and I kept up with Gen Con a tiny bit and I felt okay. It was like the first time since really getting into the hobby that I was like, okay, I don't know that I feel that upset about this because yeah. I know it's I mean, expensive I, f- I know it's busy you know I don't know yeah I mean I spent under $200 for games almost under 100 actually and you know you can be more frugal you can go the Matt Wolf energy bar lunch instead of eat out for every meal I I go to Gen Con to do that I, I think my best memories from Gen Con are usually surrounding some sort of big meal <laughs> So I don't know. It kind of just depends on what you're looking for. But I mean, I had fun. I I don't want it to sound like I had a miserable time at Gen Con. I did find myself thinking more than once, like maybe I don't need to be here for five days or six days anymore just because, you know, it, it is expensive and it's right before school starts and there's a lot going on at home that I'm missing out on too. So I think Gen Con is still fun and still worth it. It might not be an every year con if you live far away. All right, well, let me let me open it up, and I don't mean to, like, be a downer on Gen Con. Um, but So open it up. You guys were there for four or five days, six days. What did you guys do? Like, what, what were some of the highlights? Demoed, played, uh, Dan, talk about your panels. Like, what, what happened? Um, it, Gen Con's not a play-heavy convention. <laughs> to be honest, Gen Con is, like, basically walking the halls and then trying to coordinate with other people to either eat or play a game. Uh, most of which takes longer than the actual meal or the game, <laughs> which is fine. It's funny. Oh, it's um, not that bad. No, I know. I, I'm just saying it's it's one of those like that's what you find yourself doing. Like I that's I remember, the game is trying to get all of your friends. It's a in meta one game. Place. Yeah, it's a meta game. Because I remember Saturday, like I walked, like I walked the hall. I did my panel, and I it was like 6 p.m. and I was like, I haven't done a single thing. Like I didn't feel like I did anything. Um, and it was already like you know I'd been there eight hours. Um, See, now that's the day that I actually walked the hall by myself and discovered all of those little games that I picked up. Because by Saturday, the only thing I had really bought was um, the Pandemic yeah. Reign of Cthulhu. That's because so. <laughs> the other reason she bought all those little games is because I wasn't walking with her going, what the hell are you doing, Tiff? That game's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no one to check her. She bought a game with dwarves that had a seven in it. I was like, get out of here. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, it was fun though. Like I had fun. Don't yeah, like Tiff said, don't don't let me think that. I'm just I'm critically analyzing this convention as opposed to Origins, which is my favorite. If you had yeah. to choose between Mine the too. two, I pick Origins any day over the the Gen Con because it's just a more fun, more laid back, more game centric con. Um, I walked around. I did I did a panel um, with our friend John Rott over at Gatekeeper Games um, on kickstarter um so i was on this panel along with uh jonathan Liu from geek dad to kind of give that media slash reviewer perspective for any questions um, people had from that aspect on kickstarter um on the friday panel was also the uh, greg who founded the broken token and oh forgive me i forget the gentleman's name who founded backer kit so we had the panel and then John from Gatekeeper, obviously, as the kind of the publisher side of things. Um, so it was just open forum, ask a bunch of questions. I didn't have to talk all that much. I mean, I had to answer the reviewer questions, which was fine. Um, and it, it was good exposure for us, I think. And the second day was just me, that gentleman Greg from the Broken Token, and Lance Mixter, who from TMG now and Undead Viking fame. So that was fun. Um, got to chat there. Um, but yeah, I did that and then I played some games. I played, I counted one, two, three, six. I played seven games in one prototype in Wednesday to Sunday. <laughs> highlights? Um, highlights for me was Save the Cupcake. Uh, this is from Asmati. This is their, they kind of beta released this similar to what they did with Red 7 a couple years ago. Um, deck of cards and one of those clear plastic uh, baseball card holder things. Um, this is a two-player game of what I like to call somewhat strategic plinko, and <laughs> I, I don't exactly know what it is. Yep. And it the game it just made me happy. Like I just had so much fun playing this game. <laughs> um, as silly as it sounds, it's a ten-minute game. One person is called the Destroyer of Cupcakes, and they are trying to roll these five boulders down this hill to crush the opponent's cupcake. And the defender of cupcakes has hidden this cupcake among, think of Plinko, among like seven cards at the bottom of the row. And you're trying to use these directional cards. It's got a really cool mechanic with the discard pile that I liked. Um, I just, it's genuinely just fun for me. Uh, I don't know what everyone else thought of it, but I didn't care because I liked it. And for those who don't think I like games that are fun, this game was fun. You should check it out. It was only like 10 bucks. And 12. 12. It was worth every penny for me. I really liked that. That was my highlight um so you went all the way to the biggest North american <laughs> convention with all these hot titles and the best game you played well the hot titles but not hot titles for me like a lot of these titles just weren't like i had no interest to play mansions of madness really like i would try it um especially because there's no overlord which i like but um my my Biggest highlight was finding a copy of Ferenz, which is out of print, as I mentioned. This is a Andre Stedding game. This is the gentleman who did Hansa, Teutonica, and Stouffer Dynasty, and a couple of other ones that I really like. Um, and this one's been out of print for a while. I've had it on my trade list for a while. And I was just browsing the cool stuff, ding and dents. And I saw it. I double take. And I, this guy was looking at the shelves. And he was like, his glance was at the, like, the bottom of the shelf, working his way up. And this was on the top shelf. And I literally... 
I reached over, bumped him in the head, and just yoinked it off the shelf in the middle of the crowd. Because I didn't want him, like, I didn't know, you know, anyone who knows that that title is out of print and has been looking for it would surely yoink it. And some guy, two guys saw me walking with it, and they go, where the hell did you find a new and shrink copy of that? I was like, over there. And there was, um, there was one more, but it was really beat up. So I wonder if they just had these in the back of their warehouse and found them, and then just... Uh, put them on the shelf kind of thing because it's it's been tough to get for me and i'm i'm pretty active in looking for it um but that game was and and we played it as well and that game was excellent um really like that so (laughs) the best game i played was from 2011 which (laughs) which is a really strong year for board games to begin with solid yes tiff how about you yeah i don't know i couldn't say that i played a whole lot of games i mean i i I played Save the Cupcake, and I got to try Lotus, and I got into Clask, which I was very happy. I bought that after I got back from the con, but that was fun. I bought it, too, after I talked to you. <laughs> I love it. It's it's, it's so silly. And, like, the thing is, is I wasn't even going to try it when we sat down, uh, and, oh, gosh, I'm so bad with names. John Schultz. Schultz, yes. He had his copy, and he's like, you want to try it? And I'm like, No. No, I don't, because I really hate air hockey, and but it it it's okay. You can still play. It doesn't have to be fast and furious like air hockey. So it suits me as far as that sort of table game goes. Um, but my real highlight, I had a couple of things that were fun. Our annual Buca de Beppo dinner <laughs> happened. So it was Dan and Dan Patrice, Matt Wolf, and Adam Skelding, and I went out to a family style Italian dinner. We played a lot of Fuji Flush. Our waitress was quirky and interesting, and we ate a lot of food and concluded with a giant tiramisu and nice. limoncello <laughs> shots. <laughs> so that's kind of been a tradition, and th- I think that's my one of my favorite parts about Gen Con is we have these little traditions. Like, I mean, going to the kilt on Wednesday isn't a highlight for me, going to the tilted kilt, but it is a tradition, and I don't absolutely <laughs> hate it. Uh, what else? Uh, I went to the Upper Deck press event, which was awesome because I got my opportunity to talk to Richard Lanius. So, oh, nice. You know, we talked What's he a doing with bit. Upper Deck? Um, shark, shark Island. Yeah, the shark game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. And he seemed pretty pumped shark about that. Shark Island. He, what a great title. He can sell you on pretty much anything when you talk. I mean, when I was talking to him about it, I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. We're going to buy that immediately, but I don't know. We'll you see. You were just smitten. You were say, like, he can sell you on anything. I, if he goes, I'm making a game about sharks on an island, I'd be like, yeah, that's good. I don't know. Can you, can you say He's, it like Richard Lonius, Dan? I don't know this guy. <laughs> it's been so long. It's being so um, shy. So that was fun, and I got to see W. Eric Martin, who is elusive at the cons because he's just working his butt off. So he was at yeah. that event, and we got to talk for a while. So that was fun. I mean, it's oh, and uh, we missed a lot of it, but we did get to see uh, the ending of the Iron Design Challenge from the building, the game guys. So you know, little who things like that. Oh, uh, Josh Mills, uh, John Gilmore, and Dan, help me out. No idea. No um, Brunos. No. no Brunos this year. No. Oh, sad. But yeah, so it was good. Good times, uh, and like I said, just all those little things that we do every year. Um, the night they went to Upper Deck, I actually got to play some games afterwards. So I played some things that I never would have tried in a million years, like Poker Assault. <laughs> poker Assault? Yeah, I think it's from Cryptozoic, and it's like a, 
you're you're making poker hands and then the other players are trying to like ruin your poker hands by playing cards that match them i don't know it was late but yeah. i i didn't love love that game but i played it and that was fun i also played a haba game that i've never tried before that like you roll marbles it's called diego drakenzon so you're trying to like roll your the other players are guessing which area you're trying to roll your marble into and then you roll the marble and you get points if you get it and if they guess right and that was pretty fun so you know what game's not fun quartz quartz oh no we're gonna upset some people about this but quartz is a terrible game i demoed it (laughs) (laughs) i mean for me for me okay guys i demoed it at origins and wasn't too too terribly uh, impressed with it it's like a you draw stuff out of a bag for an hour. Does that sum it up, Dan? <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's not even that interesting of a bag draw. I'm gonna leave it be for now. I will get into it because we've been running. We're running long now, so I'll, I'll leave it for another show because I really want to dig into this one. Okay. Now you seeded it. I'm so interesting, but interested. But okay. We'll get That's to it fine. eventually. Yeah. I'll do so it games more. were played. Uh, some games were played. That's good. Uh, so BGG has modified the geek buzz now has scythe on top of the list what do you guys see as like what was big and popular there you guys were in and out as press and maybe got to see a little bit more than everyone else like what what was on the minds of the people of the masses i feel like a lot of people were checking out vast a lot of people were interested and picking that up so i think it was on the hotness good choice Dan, anything um, stand out to you? Not that you necessarily wanted, but that you saw everyone drooling over. Drooling over? I mean, I guess. I mean, I know a lot of people asked me about my Oceanos copy. Um, Cry Havoc was being played a lot that I saw where we were. I didn't see. I didn't see like Mansions of Madness. I didn't see a lot of. I didn't see a lot of Scythe, to be honest with you, other than like yeah. the line on the first day to get it at I the booth. I saw a lot of people carrying around boxes of it. I yeah, didn't I never see too many people playing. I it. didn't see too many people playing it. Um, a lot That's of a big people, box to carry around. Yeah. Renegade did really well. They sold out of all three of their new big titles: um, Clank, Lotus, and Covert. Um, I'm kind of bummed I didn't pick up Covert covert because i think i would like it after kind of watching a couple reviews on it now but again not a big deal i'll get it in september when it's released (laughs) um a lot of people are fawning over lotus just because it's a really beautiful game it is Um, very pretty no i think i don't know if you mentioned it on here or maybe this was just between us but like the gameplay of lotus was it gave me a a feel for one of their other games which is bullfrogs kind of the area control on a plant (laughs) right right. good old area control on a plant well with your own personal deck and your drawing and those kind of trigger what you can do and yeah so yeah i'd say i prefer bullfrogs i do but lotus is a decent game it's simple Lotus is a good family game. And like I said, it's got a really nice table presence. Um, of their those two titles in that similar weight box, um, Bullfrogs is a is a much better game in my opinion. I really like Bullfrogs a lot. I saw a decent amount of people playing Potion Explosion. I've seen a lot of that too, yeah. Which I did play it again. I haven't played it since BGGCon. And uh, I liked it more this time than I did when I played play. at BGGCon. You just have to set it up, but it's an easy rule set. Like I could see that being played a lot. Right. Still, yeah. Didn't interest it's me. It's just set collection, but it's got that. I, I will pick it up for the board game club because I know the kids would love the marbles. But True. Fun. True. It was fun. I had a good time. Maybe it's because I didn't play it with Dan. Well, I found that playing <laughs> games with Dan increases fun value by at least 0.7%. 
Not all the time. Sometimes. It depends on the game. <laughs> if you play a good game, I'll be real jazzed. If you play boring games, I'm just going to play the game. I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to play it. I'll complain after. You're not, you're not going to complain, Dan? I'll complain after. I'm not going to complain during the game. I'll mention what I'm liking and not liking, just because that's what I do in any game. I kind of just analyze as I'm going through things. Okay. So, that aside, people should play more games with Dan when they're at Gen Con. That's what we learned. <laughs> Uh, any final thoughts? We, I'm sure there's, you know, secret stories or hidden games and things like that that we didn't chat about. But uh, as Dan said, we have filled out a full episode here. So any final thoughts on Gen Con 2016 before we wrap it up? I think I said what I needed to say. I don't know. It was fun. I'll go back next year. I'll be there. Maybe not for a week. Dan, thoughts? Yeah, no, I had fun. I've, yeah, I've given all my thoughts. You guys are really good at this. All right, let's go ahead and close out this episode. We have a lovely question from our main man, Todd, that we are going to fold over into another episode because it is a good question, but I want to make sure that we give it the attention it deserves. So let's go ahead and close out episode 50 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you all for joining us. In case you don't know or didn't listen to the beginning of the show, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us over on BGG Guild number 2077. Get yourself a micro badge. Contribute to the two-year anniversary episode list that we'll put out there. Give us some ideas. Give us some thoughts. Contribute to the Keep Trade Burn. We would love to have you. Find us over on Instagram. I run the League's account, Nonsensical Gamers. I also run my own, which is Cinnamon Buns. We post a lot of pictures about what we've been playing trying to have some conversation over there if you enjoy the content if you want us to help us get noticed if you want to provide feedback about what you do or do not like you can do so on itunes or stitcher or google play i check all three of those places for reviews try to internalize that feedback and we'd be happy to read it on the show so check out those places give us a couple stars Uh, we appreciate it very very much as always the best place to find us though is on twitter we are active over there you just have to harass tiff a little bit tag her a lot and she'll respond uh, i if respond you need to... to everyone who tags me thank you very much <laughs> and if they're gonna tag you what do they put in that tweet tiff i am at inept gamer and dan if people want to chat with you where do they find you at scandalous underscore nad or at league nonsense Excellent. And you can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. If you want to find out how it's spelled, go listen to our last episode. That's how I'm going to trick people into listening. (laughs) My handle is at the end of the episode. So thank you all for joining us. We will be back next week with some Boardcast news and shortly after that with our two-year anniversary spectacular. Thank you all for joining us and goodbye. Bye. Toodles. Okay. You do know that there's a good chance that that stays in whenever you do that. We just don't do bumpers. Can we get the real thing? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Ready to rock and roll? Talk about Gen Con? <laughs> anyway. All right. It's yeah, better than Dan definitely. whistling the robin hood thing (laughs) don't bring that up (laughs) how long ago was that it's 
Every, it memories. happens about once a month. Dan gets caught in a loop and you need to take his batteries out. It's so catchy. <laughs> I love that song. It's like my favorite song. All right. Jenga Hondoy 16. Three, two, one.